Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to give you a heads up that this episode contains uh, talk of sexual assault, child abuse, child neglect, and obviously drug use. And so if listening to me talk about any of those things would make this a hard listen, skip this one. There'll be others. There'll be another one coming next week. There's a back catalog. I just want you guys to have the information you need to be able to take care of yourselves. And if that means you don't listen to this episode, I'm fine by that. Later. Um, guys, I don't feel so great. I'm sick. I got a little cough here. I don't have COVID. I tested, but I could have, I don't know, COVID-84 or whatever it is that's new coming around these blocks or whatever. Something that maybe doesn't show up on the test. I don't fucking know, but I don't feel super great. I also had uh, Cheeks' birthday party today. It was a success, but it was stressful. Lots of stressful, stressful, stressful situations. Um, yeah, so like, baby, I'm tired. Oh, also, my stepkids in town. Love that. Would also love to be notified before they show up from out of town. So I didn't record this podcast on Friday like I thought it was because I had to go get stepkid from the, from the bus station. And things went from there. So here it is, 11 o'clock at night on Saturday night, and I am, and I need to record a motherfucking podcast. So, um, let's get some showbiz out the way first before we get started. One, season 11 of Buy Pumpkin is imminent. Uh, what is today? Today, the day you get this will be the 27th. We are going to start season 11 of Buy Pumpkin on September 3rd. It is going to be... Da-da-da-da-da. Uh, drum roll, please. I actually don't have uh, a drum roll, but I'll just tell you. We're going to do the mother-daughter experiment, celebrity edition, colon, celebrity edition. I don't know why they did that. There was no other edition, so I don't, I'm not sure. But that's what we're going to be doing, and I'm excited about it. Um, this was a very special little show that was just a big ball of dysfunction, and if I could just remind you of who was on the show, da da da, um, um, Natalie Nunn and her mama, Heidi Montag and her mama, uh, Courtney Stodden and her mama, and there was a lot of stuff happening with Courtney Stodden and her mama, um, Char Jackson and her mom, uh, Josie Canseco and her mom. I mean, although her mom was at the time a, a bigger, not, she wasn't a star, but she was just like on more reality TV than Josie was. Um, who else? Who else was there? I don't think Farah and her mom were there. Um, ooh, Kim Richards was there with her daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a short one, but it is... Like, how many episodes are there? I can't even remember. Eight episodes. Okay, so it's going to go by very fast. But these are action-packed episodes. Lots of dumb stuff being said and done. Lots of like, what the fuck does that mean? Anyway, we start September 3rd. Get into it. All right. That said, it's late. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I got to do an episode. And what I chose to do this week is I wanted to do an intervention episode. And I was like browsing, like, which ones do I want to do? And I saw a thumbnail for this one. It's season 12, episode five. It's called Diana. And I remember 
this woman wearing this party cowboy hat. That's what I call them. I call them party cowboy hats. Those those cowboy hats, I'm sure there's a name for them, but they're really small and they kind of like turn up. Like Brett Michaels wears them all the time. It's like, it's a cowboy hat for if you want to like show that you're fun, right? And that you'll do like you're into you'll you're willing to do some tequila shots or whatever, but like you're not actually like you're not actually gonna wrinkle some cows or anything like that. It's it's I mean I don't know another way to say it. it's a fun cowboy hat, but I saw her and I was like, ooh, I think I remember her. I think I remember her. So this is the one I decided to do. Um. I don't know if I am, if I made a good choice this time or not, but this is the one I decided to do. It's late and we don't have another, we don't have any other choices. I know some of you right now are being like, Princess, why the fuck would you say that? Because I keep it real. I keep it funky with y'all, okay? Sometimes I choose episodes to do and I go, hmm, if I could go back in time, would I choose that again? Probably not. And it's because this, this intervention episode is, Mm, let's just get into it and we'll talk about it. So, yo, Diana is, uh, well, first of all, this is set in California, but it fucking looks like Canada. It really looks like Canada. And you know, some of the latter intervention episodes are set in Canada, but like a lot of times they won't tell you that. First of all, let me, let me go back. If you guys have, if you guys have ever watched HGTV, do you know how they will sneakily set something in Canada, right? Because we won't know. We're fucking dumb Americans. And refuse to tell us that. Like, there's a, mm, there's, I forgot the name of the show. I used to love to watch it all the time. There's like a renter show where they like teach you how to like, like, you know, all the shows are about finding a house. But like, man, some of us just want to find a place to rent. So it's that, but. They won't, they'll be like, this person lives 20 minutes from the city. What city, HGTV? Toronto? Is that what you're trying to say? Did I say Toronto, right? I've been practicing. We'll hope so. Anyway, um, that show where they did the income property, which I really liked because I thought that was an interesting concept, that was all in Canada. And Intervention does it too. They'll, things will be set in Canada and they'll be like, uh... Don't worry about where this is set. So that's why I felt like this was the first, but no, it's all in California. Diana, listen, they everyone describes her as a super mom. I don't like that term. Um, I think that it's really important that we don't make this shit look easy, okay? Um, and it's hard, it's hard, right? Um, like I tell my kids and my husband all the time, just cause I make it look easy doesn't mean it is assume I'm doing something hard over here. And part of it is I don't want to complain a lot about things that are going on. That doesn't make me feel better. It just reverberates with me. It's why sometimes I need a break from Twitter because hearing the same complaints over and over again makes, doesn't make me feel like, Oh, you're, you've been heard or you've been seen, you've been validated. It makes me think, it, may, it reminds me of how bad everything is. And so, like, when I am having a hard time, I'm, I don't always verbalize it. But I should. I should do it more. Because a lot of people think that, like, like, 
I don't know. The, that it's in everybody to be like this very involved mom who does all the, you know, the bake sales and the volunteer and they're always at home when you get there and they make this and they do that. And, and like this idea of a super mom, I dislike it so much because this, it, it, it makes it seem like it's just this thing that anybody can do. They just choose not to. But, like, it only works if you have a partner that can financially support you so you don't have to go to work so you can be at home making fucking costumes. It only works if you have the resources and the capacity to be everywhere all at once and to be to do all those things. And not everybody does. And as a very involved mom... I, I am a very involved mom. I have to tell you guys, it's not an easy thing. It's not easy with three kids. It's not easy with five kids. It's not easy with one kid. It takes a lot of work. You know, my stepkids visiting and um, they asked me, was it hard to have five kids? And I said, um, not in the way you think it is. It's not hard in the way you think it is. What's hard is when I'm tired and I still have to do things. That's hard. What's hard is when... They all think that they're the center of the universe, right? So they all are doing that one little thing. They don't realize everyone else is doing one little thing. So it's five things all at once. It becomes a big thing, right? The hard part is not the actual doing, for me, because other people have different perspectives. The hard part isn't the actual doing of stuff. It's the invisible shit that you do. Like, so Cheeks turned 11 this week and Turtle's 12. And they take their own ADHD medicine, right? They're really good about medicine management. Um, they, I just check in with them, but they take their own medicine. They're really good at it. Uh, Cheeks, d- this morning I was like uh, organizing medicine. I was like, Cheeks, where is your ADHD medicine? He goes, oh, I don't have any more. I was like, when did you take the last one? He's like, yesterday. And I was like, it takes like a week to get a refill. I have to send it in through a web form. The doctor, the uh, the nurse has to get it, and then she sends it to the doctor. And she might not be a nurse; she might just be the admin. She, I think she's the admin, because I feel like the nurse would just would be able to do more than the admin can do. The admin sends it to the doctor. The doctor sends in the prescription. Then I have to. Then the pharmacy has to fill it, and it has to be in stock. So you need about a week. You need to let them know about a week in advance. And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry," but little does he know that I got tired of this happening and I stole seven of his pills and put them in my drawer so that no matter what happens, I got a week on him. And so when I gave him his pills, he was like, where did you get this from? And I told him, I was like, I always steal seven pills from you. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm like three steps ahead of your your ass. I got you. But that, that takes a lot of time and effort and thought and and lots of to-do lists to be three steps ahead of people, to be this person that's a net for everybody in this fucking house. And it's not easy. It's not easy at all. So even if I make it look easy, know that it's not easy. And don't ever call me a fucking super mom because, like, this takes a lot of energy, okay? I'm tired right fucking now. Um, what was I talking Oh, so Diana's a super mom. And the truth is, like, is she, it sounds like she just was a stay-at-home mom. 
and she she had a lot. She was available to pick them up and take them places. But I'm going to take a step back from that because the truth is the the kids are the one that get to decide whether or not you're a good mom. And they really love Diana and they think she was a great mom. And that all changed because right now she's uh She's doing a combo of meth, narcos, which is a painkiller, I guess, um, and uh, drinking. And she tells us that she likes to be high, 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 and then drunk, drunk, drunk. And she's been doing meth for four years. She smokes meth three times a day and takes up to 20 painkillers a day and drinks up to two bottles of wine a day. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Diana. That sounds like a lot. Um... She says she wants to be numb from her head to her toes. And then it feels like an orgasm when you get high. Maybe. The numb thing, I can I can feel it. I can I can see how that would be nice. Um, you know, I'm really interested in this combo of meth, uh, the painkillers, and the alcohol. The painkillers and alcohol, I see how they go together. But the meth is interesting to me. But I just have to remind myself that everybody has their thing. Like... I don't know, when you're a drug addict, people think that you'll do any kind of drugs. And the truth is that, like, maybe you will. Maybe you are a kitchen sink drug user that you're like, I'll take whatever the fuck you got. But there are some people that, like, are like, listen, I smoke meth and that's all I do. And there are some people that like this combination like she does. I'm, this is not, this is, like, this is not a sticking point to judge on. You know what I mean? Like, she says she likes to get high. Let her get high. Well, don't let her get high. But I'm just saying, like, Let's not judge, let's not like get all lost in the details of how she gets high. So Diana's doing sex work. Uh, her kids know all about it. She's very obvious with it. I mean, she's also homeless. So like, um, you know, the cat's out of the bag about a lot of things, right? Um, so she's doing sex work. Um, she's homeless. Um, she's actually been in trouble with the law quite a bit. She's got a DUI, a driving with no license, a couple of possession charges that are pending. Um, yeah, she's pretty much like, she's, she's far down there. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's like, you know, I don't want to like imply a bottom or whatever, but, um, a lot of stuff's happened. She's had a lot of consequences for the drug addiction. Um, the latest one is that they found her passed out in the creek. She had sand all over her back. Her pants were down. Her clothes had been ripped off and she'd been raped. And she had no idea what happened. She had no idea how she got there. If I had remembered this was an episode, I wouldn't have done this episode. Because this is one of my biggest nightmares. Is the idea that some you could have been violated and have no idea. And that someone has to come and tell you that you've been violated. And then you have to deal with that. This is why. I, I talk about McKinsey Phillips too much. But this is why the McKinsey Phillips shit bothers, like, really fucks with me. Because, like, even though when she was telling the story of, like, you know, McKinsey Phillips wrote this book about uh, having a quote-unquote relationship with her. And sexual relationship with her father. And, like, from the moment any of us heard like, what was going on with this fucking book, everybody was like, uh, that's not a relationship. That's an assault. Uh, she full-on says that she woke up with him assaulting her, like, early on. And, like, 
he's your he's your father. This is, cannot be a relationship. This is a this is a power imbalance. You have been you have been wrong. You have been victimized. Um, and she did a press tour. She was like, I'm not a victim or whatever. And I guess later on, she talked to some incest um, activists and and finally realized. It. And that fucks me up to think about that. Like one day she went to sleep thinking like, no, 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 it was fine. I mean, it wasn't fine. They were like high off their fucking asses all the time. And she was sleeping with her dad. But that she went to sleep thinking it was one thing and woke up and was like, oh, fuck, I have been sexually assaulted. That's really scary. There's another intervention episode. I think it's called Lana. About like this blackout um, alcoholic. Um, she Girl weighs maybe 70 pounds. And she's just so thin from the drinking and everything. Like, um, And... In her episode, she had to, the cops came to interview her because she had been raped and videotaped and she had no, she had no memory of the thing altogether. And I just can't even imagine what that's like. That's, again, it's one of my worst nightmares. And so if I remember that, I wouldn't have done this episode. But Diana is like, listen, Diana been through it all. Diana doesn't have a place to live. Diana is is addicted to three substances. Diana has experienced sexual assault. Diana is uh, doing sex work. And again, every time we talk about sex work, I want to remind you guys that we have been talking a lot. We've, there's a long way. We, we as a society have, has, have come a long way about the empowering nature of sex work and about um, having more modern ideas about sex work. I mean, there's a long way to go. But I want to remind you that there is a difference between I have chosen sex work as my profession and I am I am doing my profession and I am doing sex work because it's the only thing I can do because I have a hardcore addiction. I need to get money, fast money right now. And as soon as I finish doing this job, I'm going to take this money and go get high. These are different things. Walking the streets, different than being like an escort. It just, and I know a lot of people are like, princess, it's not that different. The, what you're doing is not, you're right, you're right, you're right. But I'm saying that there is a difference between choosing to do sex work in a safe manner, um, in a professional safe way, and doing sex work because it's all you can do because you because your addiction, you need a certain amount of money a day and this is all you can do and walking the streets and taking whatever you, like there is a difference in these things. And I don't think we always talk about that because we want to get away from shaming sex work. And I too, like sex work is fucking work. But Diana is not choosing to do sex work. Diana is doing sex work because it's all she can do. And that is an important distinction. Um... You know, when they do her background, they say all the things you normally would say about a really pretty girl. She she was very pretty. Um, all the pictures of her from when she was younger, she looks like she could be like a fucking supermodel. I don't know what year this was. It always, it looks like the 80s, early 90s, but I mean, I don't fucking know. Like, this happened in 2012, so, and her kids are grown. I'm not sure, but like, she looks like a fucking model. She looks so beautiful. And they say all the things you say about a beautiful girl. How beautiful she was. How she was the apple of her eye. She was called Dynamite, I think by her dad or either her grandma, one one of the two. And she just was like, 
you know, she was the bee's fucking knees. But when she was nine, she found out she was adopted. And I want to say this, guys. Do not do this to your children. Do not. Everybody deserves to know how they got here, right? And don't keep things like this from your kid, from your children. And I understand that, like, when she was growing up, it was probably the way people handled things. But it's incredibly important that your child's birth story be a story that they can tell them by themselves by the time they're like five or six years old. Like they know this story. And if it's the baseline of their life that I was adopted, that I was wanted, I was, I, of a common refrain in adoption is wanted, chosen, loved or something like that. I dislike that. I dislike a lot of terms in adoption. I, I don't like gotcha day. I think that sounds gross. I don't like chosen. That makes it sound like we were shopping for like uh, fucking cantaloupes and like checking to see which one was most ripe. So we chose this one. I just feel like a lot of terms around adoption are really like about, I don't know, they're, they're really centering the experience of the adoptive families, which I understand, especially with uh, infant adoptions. That, that I mean, there is no other. I don't. I don't know how else she'll center it, but it's just. I don't know. I don't like those words, but it's important that they know their stories and that, just like you would start talking about where babies come from, when they're like, you know, even when they're toddlers, you're talking about where babies come from. You want to talk about where this specific baby came from and how that happened. And let this be a baseline of their knowledge of, of, you know, of, of themselves, as opposed to something you spring on them when they're in the fucking third grade, third or fourth grade. Come on. And that's not to say that like everybody, everybody has this has this sort of reaction it's not everybody doesn't have this sort of reaction to finding out they're adopted but because trauma is about how you react to what happened to you not exactly what happened to you because we can go through the exact same things and see them very differently but in terms of like your children it's important that they know who they are and how they got here and their own story and don't ever let anybody else spray them with their own tea you tell them first you workshop it with them first you have those conversations about what we're going to like, what does this mean? What does this doesn't mean? Do not let some child at school be the one that's be like, hey, just so you know, you're adopted. Don't do that. Um, I actually like, so you guys know, I think Brandy Glanville, there's a lot of fucked up things about her. And um, I actually, there was a story recently about how she was like, I'm assuming drunk, drunk DMing her, uh, one of her son's ex-girlfriends or something like that, like, stay away. No, no, no. Like, um, I will say this about Brandy, though. I actually do not blame her for talking about Adrian Maluth's uh, pregnancies. I don't blame her for it because I'm here with adults talking about this. And the fact that Adrian has not told her children that she was that... So the, the reason it's a story to talk about is that Adrian denies uh, or publicly denies like having the kids via surrogate. Like she just 
I don't know. She went away and then came back with a baby. It was like, and just wasn't saying she had it through surrogacy. But it was like the worst kept secret. And I'm sorry, Adrian. It's important that you tell. Like, it's, everybody knows this already. So I understand you're upset that Brandy said it on TV, but you should have told your children. And also, Brandy said it months before it got on TV. You should have told your children. You should talk to them. And I'm not going to say that Brandy should be the one to decide when Adrian tells her children anything. But if you were open and honest with your children, I understand that culturally, Adrian, just, that's just not something they do. And she, there are, it was a lot more than like, you know, there had, there were some personal things involved there, like trying to get over the fact that maybe she tried to carry children and couldn't and you know, all that, but you still got to do it. You still got to have those conversations. Um, there are a million children's books out here on however those fucking kids got here that can help you explain, that can help you tell the story. And kids love it when you talk about them. Tell them their stories. Give them that. Give them that treasure. And do not wait until they're nine years old and tell them they're adopted. Now, already, for Di- in Diana's case, she already, like, she, she was very close to her father. It looks like her father was a cop. She was very close to her father. She, you know, if he felt like he listened to her, they were good friends. He was very affectionate towards her and her mother was not. Now, I don't really know what's going on with her mom. Her mom, she doesn't seem like the bad sort, but she does seem like someone who's just like, I don't know. I just got a feeling if I could dive into her mom's background, I'll find out that her mother was like molested or something. And it, she has like uh, trouble with physical intimacy and, that's why she didn't hug people and something, something terrible. But her mom's just not, it's kind of cold to be honest and just, and doesn't, and just really isn't interested in like, um, affection or anything like that. And, and you know, Diana's the opposite. Diana's emotional. Diana wants to do these, have all this stuff. So growing up, she just really felt I don't know, really just like unloved by her mother. Um, I want to talk about that, but let me finish telling like the background story of Diana. So Diana at 19 gets married, starts having kids. She has three kids and she's determined to be like the best mother possible, the most loving mother possible to do better than she had, which is to be honest, there's not, there's not one parent out here who doesn't want their children to do better than what they had. Even if it's not necessarily the parenting, but like to be able to give them more that this is the nature of parenting that you want your children, unless you got some fucked up shit going on and like, you're like jealous of your kids or something, but you want your kids to have more than what you had. And so in Diana's case, the thing that she didn't have was a very loving, affectionate mother. And so she did that and she, and so staying home with her kids and being able to pick them up and being able to talk to them all the time, and doing this and that, she really poured into her children. Nothing wrong with that. Um, when she was 28, she decided to try to find her birth mother. Okay. So she goes to try to find her birth mother. And um, I have heard this can be difficult because records are sealed. And this is really fucked up. Uh, the adopted 
person doesn't always have the right to unseal those records. They, it's, it's, it feels like, um, it feels like the laws are, are meant to center around the birth parents rather than the child, which I think is like, I don't know why that is. It's just, it's just center around the child. And, but anyway, so she finds her, she, she gets in contact and the bio mom, the birth mom, leaves a message on her machine. So good, good Lord, what year is this? That said, I didn't want you then. I don't want you now. Don't contact me. Which is just like one of the most unnecessarily mean things I've ever fucking heard. Because a lot of people, if you reached out to them and they didn't want contact with you, just would not respond, right? They block your number. They just wouldn't call you at all. They wouldn't respond to any correspondence you sent them. They would just basically ghost you. But to take the time to dial your number, you don't answer, get the beep, and then go, listen. That's really fucked up. And it really spiraled Diana because Diana always felt like she didn't have a mother. Her mother wasn't like the mother that she wanted or needed. And... Here she's like, I'm going to find my bio. Then she finds out she's adopted at nine. She's like, because this is the other thing. Finding out you're adopted at nine, like, sucks. Because, especially if you're having trouble already at home, where you're just like, you 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 suspect that, some, that you're different than everyone else. And then suddenly they're like, yeah, you really are because you're not one of our. Like, this is tough. Um, she already doesn't have a great relationship with her adoptive mother the mother that raised her and she's seeking something and she wants to know more about herself and she treat, reaches out to her bio mom and her bio mom's like nah still don't want you this is like really rude um let me look at my notes because i've been doing this without notes so far uh because oh so already diana's been drinking since she was 14 she says she loves merlot she loves the way it tastes and she loves, like, the buzz she gets from it. Um, that's the year. The twenty, the year she turned 28 and the birth mom was, like, unnecessarily rude to her. Let me just, like, let me just go back for a second here, though. Because Diana says that when she found out she was adopted, she felt like she'd been abandoned and thrown away. Okay? So, and lots of people feel that way. It's even our language around adoption, right? So we say people gave up a child for adoption when the more accurate language would be they placed a child for adoption. Um, yeah, like, she felt abandoned. She felt like, what was wrong with me that they didn't want me? And to wait till 20 years later when she finally gets up the courage to like, try to find this family... For them to be like, your suspicions were true. We didn't want you and we don't want you. Like, that's terrible. So that year's the year she started doing meth, apparently. Well, she started taking bike in it. Let me go back. She started taking bike in it, which she really loved. I can imagine. She said it just really felt like she didn't feel anything when she was taking it. She was also sleeping all day when she was taking that bike in And like her, her daughter said... Like, what her kids said immediately, like, she stopped being a functioning mom. Like, they had, like, this full-time, hands-on, very involved 
tons of affection, tons of like attention, mom, and then immediately she starts taking Vicodin, nothing. Her daughter talks about coming home and like knocking on doors and like just looking for her mom. And the husband's like, listen, I can't do this. And basically threatens to leave her. So they don't tell us how long the Vicodin shit lasted, right? We know she's been on mass for four, for four years. I don't know how long she was on Vicodin. But two years ago, the husband left her. And that was the same year her dad died. Fine. And she said that she, she suddenly didn't, she, she, was, she was an orphan because her father felt like her only parent, her mother and her aren't close, you know. Um, she feels like a motherless, parentless child. And her kids aren't with her, so she feels like... Her kids seem grown, too. I don't know how old they are, and I'm not going back to look, but they seem like early 20s, all of them. Back to the timeline. So about... So two years ago, the, the husband left, um, and her dad died, and that spiraled her even further. And six months ago is when she started smoking meth daily. Um... We watch a scene where Diana and her boyfriend, Billy, break into a house to smoke meth. Um, they're homeless. Billy is scary looking. Um, Diana says that uh, he's like the pretty boy of the homeless community, which is just like a wild title to give someone. Put that on a motherfucking t-shirt, Okay. Um, oh, I forgot to tell you guys. She's been going by dynamite. Oh, and I got to the part in my notes where I actually wrote down. She says since her father died, she's no longer a daughter. And she doesn't have her kids and she's not a wife. She's not anything. She's just dynamite. Which is hard to listen to without laughing, right? Because dynamite. But if we can get past that, she feels... Like, she's not tied to anything anymore. You know, all the things that we are, all our roles in this world, tie us to things. Our jobs, our roles in our families. And she doesn't have any of those things she says anymore. And she feels like, who the fuck am I? She's Billy's girlfriend, is who she is. is, who she, is. she says a lot of women want him, but can't have him. And... I think, she, listen, I think she's saying he's a pretty boy of the homeless community because he's got a lot of teeth. That's, is that rude? Yeah, that's rude. But that's what, that's honestly what I think is going on here. I don't know that he looks particularly pretty. Maybe he looks better than a lot of other people that have been out in the streets longer, but I don't fucking know. Um, it's interesting that Diana thinks that she is the one getting the deal in this relationship. The truth is Billy is, right? Because Diana has something of value and that is her body. So she does sex work. She obviously does sex work for drugs. Then we see a scene where she's basically like, I'm gonna go get the mess. You stay here, Billy. And I'm like, why is it just you that go gets it? Well, I know why it's just her. Because she needs to pay with the pussy credit card. Right? Okay? So, that's not a delicate way of putting it. But that's what she needs to do. 
And Billy stays, stands there when she comes back with the, with the mess in like an hour. And he's super angry. Cause he's like, I know you sucked his dick. And like, he's pushing her and he looks scary. Um, and also he's irrational because the thing is, that's what she does to get money. That's what she does to get drugs. Did she have any money when she left here? Like, Billy, you knew this was gonna what she's doing. And this is one of the reasons you're with her is because she can procure this for you. And she's with you because she thinks of you as um, she wants to be wanted. And since you're the pretty boy of the homeless community, other people want you. And so it makes her feel good to have you. But she she's the one that brings the most to the table. You knew... so. What I get from that dynamics is that probably Billy uses her but also resents the fact that she is doing sex work to get money and to get drugs, you know? Uh, Diana tells us that Billy has pushed her, thrown her in a closet, pushed her, hurt her, and she says she's deserved it. It's all been her fault. And she's been, or she was asking for it. And I'm like... I interpreted that two ways. It was the first way was like the way we normally say it. Like I was asking for it. Like I was doing things and I got in trouble or I was doing things to contribute to this. The other way I interpreted it is Diana wants to be hurt. She feels, she feels shitty. She wants to feel something. And when she says I was asking for it, like they're interspersing this with the scenes of them arguing and like him telling her to hit him and, them like on a suburban street sidewalk arguing or whatever. And I'm thinking like maybe also Diana kind of provokes so that because being in those physical altercations makes her feel something, you know? Like obviously she doesn't necessarily want to be beat up, but it's very clear that Billy can take her and Billy seems aggressive. He seems like he has that uh, I mentally imbalanced strength, you know? Like, you got the strength of 10 fucking men because you, cause you off your rocker today. But, and yet she's still, like, engaging and still, like, pushing and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe you get something out of, like, physically fighting with him. I'm not sure. But, you know, he seems like a scary person. Nobody likes him, including her kids. They hate him. And... I can see that. Like, as the kids, they can obviously blame Billy for what's going on with their mom. There are some of them, there are some people that would be like, oh, well, if she could get away from Billy, she'd be a lot better. And her son, Zach, even says something like that. But that's, like, he's discounting the fact that, like, Billy, like, your mom's been, like, you know spiraling for years and years and years and years and Billy's kind of a new addition so I don't know if Billy's really the problem by the way her son Zach is has like uh designs cut into his hair um so I won't be fucking with that motherfucker either in fact later we so Zach is one of the ones that like he's too involved and everyone's worried about him being involved in his mother's shit because his mother is um, his mother is 
he's like driving her around, bringing her food. Like we see him, there's a girl in the car and he's like bringing her a plate of food and shit. And he gives her rides, he gives her money and stuff. And they're afraid, like he's so angry and they're afraid he's going to end up in prison, like fighting somebody for her and getting involved in her shit. And we do see a scene of him like trying to talk to her. He's like crying and he drives off and then Billy kind of walks over and you can see him like squeal back like and gets out of the car and he's like, hey, you Billy, you Billy. And both Diane and Billy are like, no, this isn't Billy. This is Shilly. This is another person. This is a person that you don't know. Not Billy. I don't know a name right now, but it's not Billy. And he's like demanding that Billy take his shirt off and stuff. And I honestly thought they were going to come to blows um, because Diane had told Billy to walk off when he saw her son coming back. And he didn't. So I thought he was staying there to fight. And in fact, Zach is very aggressive, but suddenly leaves. And I'm like, we, we missed something. There's some sort of production thing that happened right here that maybe we don't know about. But he leaves and squeals off again. But yeah, he's very like, everyone's worried that something bad's going to happen. You know? Um, I want to make, I want to talk about a scene that they had where with her adoptive mom I'm just gonna say her mom because that's what she says um they're not speaking right now she's not allowed in the house but there's a garage and Diana's daughter drives her over to the garage to kind of go looking through I they're looking for pictures or things that belong to Diana that I guess are in this garage and Diana's crying over senior pictures and things like that of her children. And the mom is just kind of looking on very like, like, I don't know what this is. Cause apparently she and Diana lived together right after the dad died. And within two months she had to put Diana out. Like the thing about the mom is I totally understand that you know, people want affection and and attention and all that from their mom. They want a soft woman who, like, yeah, that takes care of you, but also, like, not just physically, emotionally as well. And there's a connection there. And also the fact with Diana being adopted, there's an extra, like, need for a connection there. But I don't want to paint her as the villain because the fact is that, like, plenty of people... Like, she's not, she doesn't seem like a bad woman. Excuse me, they didn't tell me anything bad that she did. She could have absolutely been, like, the worst mom. But the way, all they told us is that she wasn't very affectionate. And I feel bad, like, for Diana, but also, like, I, they, they probably just perceive and show love in different ways. Um, I'm going to do that documentary on the love language. It's like, guys, obviously anything that you see that's like a personality test or is like you pull back the curtain and it's fucking eugenics back there, okay? Right? So bad. But, and also lots of these things are made up by like, you know, really whack, a lot of whack jobs. But the love language is shit. That's really good. That's, there's a documentary about how they basically were just like, I don't know, write some shit down. But that said, even knowing that, that said, it's really, it's a very easy shorthand way to talk about the way people give and receive love. It's very, it's, it's, you know, 
it's not particularly scientific, but it's just a really good way to talk about it. And um, a really simple way to talk about it. And I just imagine that Diana and her mother's way of giving and receiving love are very different. If I had to guess, Diana's is obviously words of affirmation and probably physical touch. And her mother's is probably acts of service. Like the fact that she makes you dinner, the fact that she comes in and cleans up your room and shit like that, that, that is her showing you love. Whereas Diana is just looking for someone to speak to her. Someone to speak kindly to her. Someone to listen to her feelings and listen to her like her dad used to. Someone to, to like, touch her. That's what she's looking for. And that's not bad either. You know, I saw a tweet where someone was talking about what's your love language and which childhood trauma informed it. We all crave things that we didn't get. Like, nobody's childhood was perfect, and we all crave things that we didn't get. And so, like, there's no, whatever the thing that you crave is not bigger or better than the thing the other person craves. So, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not willing to be like, Diana's mom's, like, bullshit. I'm not willing to say that. I'm willing to say that, like, she doesn't seem flexible enough to see that, like, there are things that Diana needs that she wants to, that maybe she wants to try to give to her. For example, I don't love laying in my kids' beds. I really don't. I certainly don't love them laying in my bed. I like to be in my bed by myself. But my kids really love physical touch. And there's so many of them that they that they kind of like, whether or not they can verbalize it or not, they want alone time. So like, Lying in a bed, reading a book with them, or even just talking to them a few minutes after bedtime really goes a long fucking way. Is that my most preferred way to spend my time? No. But I think it's worth it. And I just don't think Diana's mother was flexible enough or willing to try certain things. Basically, Diana's mom is just staring at them. And Diana walks over and is like, I know you're mad at me, mom. And she's like crying and stuff. And she's like, I know you don't want to hug. And the mom's just, like, kind of staring at her. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's so hard. It's so, like, again, I don't want to, like, be, like, one's better than the other. But it's so hard to watch Diana clearly want some sort of emotional response. And the mom just be like, uh. So we get to the intervention. It's Candy. Candy's adopted. Candy's not my favorite, to be honest. I just think she cries too much. I don't think she's very professional. And, like, we need to investigate why I keep using the word professional, but I just don't think she is. I was like, this is my intervention, not yours, Candy. Calm down. So she tells, she like, she emphasizes to the family when they're doing the pre-intervention that Diana's not a bad person. She's just going, she's got an addiction. There's some bad shit going on. And I think that, like, families need to hear that, that, like, like, you know, once, I don't know, once you've been in your addiction a while and you, you've done some things, some not-so-nice things, pretty sure Diana stole from mom, and that's one of the reasons, but they don't want to talk about it. But once you've done that, like, I don't know, sometimes, whether they verbalize it or not, people are like, well, you know. You know, it's really easy for me to, like, 
like lose contact like to just not have contact with the person anymore that's hurt me because that's like my way of protecting myself right if something hurts me um then i don't go nowhere near that shit no more and i read something i don't i do not know where i read it but i've just been thinking a lot about it about how trust is not just trusting that other person not to hurt you but also trusting that if they do hurt you you'll be okay and it's the second part that I can't do. That I believe that, like, if someone hurts me, that I will fall to pieces and be dead. And that doesn't, like, if you listen to me talk and if you've been around me, that if you know me, that doesn't sound a lot like me, right? But there's this, like, fear that this will be the last time. Like, that I survived all these other things and this last time will take me out. So I can't let them hurt me. I can't let them get me. Um... And I don't know, I'm just thinking a lot about that in terms of like being loving an addict, right? That like, if you are someone that can keep a hard bottom line and be like, no, you can't come over here, like Diana's mom seems to be. Take a few more steps and think about what that means, like why you're like that. Like, you know, it's this, this, this thing has been a strength of mine. It, keep, it keeps you from getting hurt. But it also has kept me from being involved in things because I am, like, too afraid to be hurt again. All right, I'm losing steam. I am very tired. Let's let's wrap this up. So they do the intervention. And I'm always really interested about how people react to realizing that this is an intervention. Do they start cursing? Do they try to run out the door? Do they start screaming? Do they slump to the floor? I've seen one. I can't even remember who it was, but he was basically like, yeah, I'll go. Like, they, they didn't even get to read the letters. He just screamed it from the doorway. Did they already know? Were they surprised at all? And I think Diana's, I think Diana was pretty surprised. She's just like, oh, Lordy. I think she was fairly surprised. Maybe she suspected, but I think she's fairly surprised. So they all read the stories. I read the letters, and the kids go, and they all cry throughout them, and Zach says that he's not going to help her anymore, but he'll always love her. That's his mother. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's hard to watch. Like, Zach is, like, really fucking hurting. Um, Mom reads the letters dry as fuck. I just, I guess what, what I'm thinking a lot about is that, you know, when I, if you were to talk to me in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I would say that everything my parents didn't do for me or didn't give me or every slight I ever felt from them was on purpose. They did it on purpose. And what a lot of therapy and a lot of self-work and a lot of like just growing up has taught me is that everybody's doing the best they can. Excuse me, not everybody. Most of the people are doing the best they can. And that a lot of the things I didn't get from my parents is because they didn't have it to give to me. They didn't even know you could give. They didn't even know you could even get that. A lot of like, I guess I wish I had more softness from them growing up. More like understanding, more slow it down, more like listening, more like that. But they didn't even know that's how you could, they didn't even know you could parent that way. They didn't even know, they didn't have it to give to me. Um, They, I felt like they were always busy. They were always yelling. They were always, but as an adult, I can understand that they were working a lot. And like, when you tire, you be doing shit. 
that doesn't absolve them of like the things that went wrong or the things they could have done better. That doesn't absolve them of that. But it helps me understand. And like once you get there to the point where you're like, okay, so this wasn't even really about me. I just got, I what happened to me was a side effect of this. I don't know. It just makes it understand better because once we realize that this person was the, per the perpetrator, that they did not intend to do this, that they, they didn't walk in here and be like, this is what I want to do. It makes forgiveness a lot easier. And Diana, like, it's so hard watching her want this from her mother, but I don't think her mother even knows how to give that to you. That they dry ass letter after the pre-intervention was just like, come on, man, come on. So in the end, Diana decides to go. Okay, Diana goes to a treatment center in Sao Padre. Oh, Candy tells her that she's adopted, that she understands, like she gets it. She gets where she's come, where, where, where Diana's coming from and that she's got childhood trauma and that she needs to address that. And that the place that she's going to will address that. Um, she's going to some center in South Padre Island in Texas. So like, that surprised me. It's like a spring break spot. So I don't know, I guess, you know, people go to Fort Lauderdale all the time, but I think of it as a spring break spot. So after that, she transferred to Austin to do like some long term care, I guess. So maybe she detoxed and then she went to like 90 days of care or something like that. When we see her, see her kids again, it's because they're picking up from the airport. She's going back to California and they've like made homemade posters and stuff. They're so happy to see her. They're so fucking happy to see her. It's so nice that she's close to her kids like that. And that they stay close because a lot of people would have been like, no, you're acting like, you're acting fucking funny. You're not my mom anymore. You know? We even get a scene of her mom like kind of visiting her and they, I don't know, it seems good, but like, I don't know. It's a dry well. Like, you keep wanting this shit from this mom and I don't think she can give it to you. Like you go to IHOP and you order ribs and you be mad cause they don't have the fucking ribs. Look, this is IHOP bruh. We don't have no ribs over here. If you want ribs, you gotta go over there. What do you want here? And some of our relationships are like that, especially with like, like not necessarily romantic relationships cause we can bring up romantic relationships easily. But some of these relationships with like parents and like siblings and things like that, like, I don't know. Uh, we don't have any ribs here. So what do you want now? I can make some eggs. I can make some crepes. I can do some pancakes, but I can't make ribs. And that's like, I guess that's hard to hear until you get to the spot where you, where you can be at peace with that. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's pretty much it. She comes, she, she, she and her mother kind of giggle through some things and that's supposed to symbolize that they feel better and yeah, guys, I'm exhausted. I am exhausted. I'm going to bed. Um, thanks for listening to this today. I don't really have anything else to say. Wouldn't it be funny if I just started snoring like right now and then that was, <sighs> Ooh. That's my best fix. Right, guys, I'll see you next week.